The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready to talk sports with one of the leading sports journalists of today? Welcome to All Around Sports with John Inglesby. John's years of experience as a journalist has allowed him to net exclusive interviews with the top players, former players, commissioners, and owners. John and his guests are ready to give you the straight word when it comes to sports. Now, let's talk all around sports. Here's your host, John Inglesby. Voice America listeners, welcome to the 169th ever show of All Around Sports. Reach Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, we broadcast live from Boston to go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this week and what's coming up for the weekend. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net, which comes to me through my website at www.iirsportsoneword.com. As always, I will give you my highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items from this past week. Also, in a few minutes, we will be joined by our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. <clears throat> well, my highlight of the week was the Pittsburgh Steelers quite possibly saving their season by scoring 24 points in two minutes, the last two minutes of the first half, in a flurry of scoring and turnovers unlike just about anything I've ever seen and according to the record books just unlike just about anything the NFL's ever seen. The Steelers they just looked dead in the water and as my loyal listeners know I grew up in western Pennsylvania started my career covering the Pittsburgh Steelers so have a uh, Huge interest in that team, to say the least. And, uh, yeah, again, they were, like, dead in the water. The crowd was out of it. The Houston Texans on Monday night were dominating the Steelers. And uh, it just couldn't have looked bleaker from the Pittsburgh perspective. And then just suddenly it all unfolded. And really, the way I saw it, it started when linebacker Lawrence Timmons got sick on the field right before a play. It was right there uh, in plain view from his linebacker position. After the play, he came off the field, got sick again, and next thing you know, he makes a sack. And just from that moment on, uh, that began the whole process which was just dizzying, to say the least. Uh, they hit a big pass to Antonio Brown, and then it just took off from there. They scored a long touchdown. Next thing you know, Arian Foster, who never fumbles, fumbles inside uh, deep, deep uh, inside his own territory around the five-yard line. Steelers punch it right in on a 
fabulous pass from, again, Antonio Brown, left-handed, uh, were reversed field. Then they fumbled a kickoff. Uh, and then there's uh, the Steelers score again. Then there's a interception where the ball bounces off a couple of helmets into defensive lineman Brett Kiesel's arms. And it was just incredible to watch. Uh, did set an NFL record, I believe, for most points ever scored in under two minutes, three minutes, something like that. Tough to keep track. There was just so much going on. And again, the Steelers, they've missed the playoffs the last two years. They've been average at best, and average doesn't cut it in the Berg. And then, uh, you know, they just, like, took the game in a matter of minutes. And again, as I said, may have saved their season. I think we'll know a lot more in the next two weeks, especially starting at 425 p.m. on Sunday when they host the Indianapolis Colts. Should be a great game. Andrew Luck. And uh, obviously the defense, you know, and the offense both just woke up after uh, yeah, an inauspicious start to the season, to put it mildly, i.e. losing the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, just, you know, really having a lot of trouble. And then the week after that, they play the Ravens. And I'm a big believer that, like the New York Yankees in baseball, Notre Dame in football, and I'll get to them later, um, the NFL's better off when the Pittsburgh Steelers are a good team. I think they just have a great national following, a lot of people love them, a lot of people hate them, but people watch them. So, sticking with football, and uh, what I'll call a co-highlight of the week was, of course, uh, Peyton Manning setting the all-time touchdown passing record, uh, broke Brett Favre's record, uh, he just makes it look so easy, you know, whether it was when he broke the single-season record of Tom Brady last year or the all-time record last Sunday. Uh, you know, when he's like two, three touchdowns away from these things, you know he's going to get it in the coming in the following game. So hats off to him. I've always been a Peyton Manning fan. He's just like Derek Jeter. You know, it has nothing to do with, you know, uh, that I'm... A Patriot season ticket holder living 20 minutes from Gillette Stadium uh, or going to see the Red Sox at Fenway versus the Yankees. It's all about the player and Jeter, Manning and the like are uh, above the fray, above the rivalry, shall we say. Great personal memories of, you know, Peyton Manning and he played those awesome playoff games back about Ten years ago up here, this famous snow-on-demand game, as I call it, started snowing the minute the Colts appeared in the tunnel. Uh, just great, fabulous games when the Colts looked unbeatable, but the Patriots found a way to stop them, uh, and Peyton Manning in particular. So, again, uh, and we'll get another chance to see him a week from Sunday. Broncos visiting Foxborough. 4.25 p.m. game a week from Sunday, November 2nd. Could be the game of the year in the NFL, especially the way the Broncos are playing, uh, i.e. last night. They looked awesome yet again in 
pretty easily handling the Chargers, who typically give them trouble. So uh, it's going to be fun. Feels like the NFL is starting to heat up. Speaking of which, a uh, big treat coming up on Sunday when the first ever morning game is broadcast from London, 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, Lions, Falcons. <clears throat> it's going to be like watching Wimbledon or the British Open wake up and, on, and have NFL football. I think it's going to be at, at 9.30 in the morning Eastern Time. I think it's going to be a huge, huge hit. And I got the feeling it's the first of many. I think it's a, it's an untapped window for the NFL, i.e. Sunday mornings on the East Coast. And I got the feeling they're going to be uh, getting big ratings, and I think it's going to become a permanent fixture on uh, a couple times a year on our NFL Sundays. My loadout of the week, looping back to Notre Dame, was that call against... Notre Dame, the touchdown to Corey Robinson, son of the Admiral David Robinson uh, of the San Antonio Spurs and, of course, the U.S. Naval Academy. I've met David at the U.S. Army All-American Bowl in San Antonio that I work at every year. And Corey played in the game a couple years ago. And David is terrific, and so is his son. Had a huge game. Would have been his third touchdown. I can go either way on the call. Uh, you know, I can see both sides. Brian Kelly has an argument. Florida State has an argument. It, it's a really tricky, tricky call. Um, but I hate to see the potential national champion decided out of that kind of a call at the end of the game. I thought Notre Dame outplayed him. Um, it's just, again, a shame to have a referee's call uh, be the lasting memory of what was just a fabulous, fabulous game and a tremendous atmosphere. The games from Florida State, be it the Clemson game that Jameis Winston sat out or the game just last Saturday night, they're just awesome to watch from Florida State. Uh, you know, give them, give those fans all the credit in the world. It's really a spectacular atmosphere. Lastly, my bizarre story of the week is the incident the other night in the World Series game where relief pitcher Hunter Strickland screaming at himself after giving up a home run, and his screaming at himself is causes the Kansas City Royal to say something, thinking he's screaming at him, and then it just ignites a near brawl. It was just bad form. A lot of this comes from Jake Peavy. I never knew this until he played for the Red Sox. And he was the starter the other night that, you know, he talks to himself on the mound. I, I just never knew it. But it was kind of a big deal up once he was up here in Boston where everything is uh, microanalyzed. And so I came to learn of this habit he has of talking to himself. And clearly it must have carried over to his teammate, Hunter Strickland. It was just, again... Bizarre. That is the only word I can use to describe it. I, you know, I didn't. Nobody seemed to understand what was going on, but everybody concluded in the end that he was uh, screaming at himself, and uh, the royal catcher Perez thought he was screaming at him, which just much ado about nothing. 
So now, as my former co-host, Lemont Williams from Outside the Huddle, likes to say, it's time to pay some bills, so let's take our break. Next up will be our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Want to experience football from the perspective of two former players who also have coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. We'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl and Sam had the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. We'll cover the camps, on and off field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. It's time to let the ladies do some sports talking around here. The sports girls take over the Voice America Sports Channel every Monday for The Inside Score. Beth Silverberg, Chin Chin Ong, and Stacey DeBerry are here to showcase the athletes, the coaches, and the foundations that change lives. In addition, we'll have a ton of regular features and a featured guest sports girl every week. You'll hear the stories you need to hear from the people that make the difference. The Inside Score is heard every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern or Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports. And I'm your host, John Inglesby. To join the show, call-in number is one 888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And it's that time of the show when we often have guests, and on the line with us is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. And A.P., how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing pretty good, John. I'm actually in Birmingham, Alabama today. Oh, really? And what brings you to Birmingham? Yeah, I came up this week. There were some events going on at the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame, so... I had to stop by and see my friend Enos Watley and, and Bud Johnson. Uh, Enos was the, was the featured speaker for the seven city high schools. He spoke to the boys and all, and the girls came um, this week. So it was good to catch up and see a few Alabama basketball legends. Yes, I'm sure. That's great. Uh, well, it's how's the weather down there? 
Oh, it's beautiful, John. It's about 70 degrees and sunny, slight breeze. It's just perfect football weather. Wow. Not so much up here. We had horrible, literally 48 hours straight of rain and wind near hurricane-like nor'easter, shall we say, in the fall. But uh, clearing up now, but fall is clearly uh, here to stay in New England. It's in the 50s, and uh, 70s sounds pretty good to me, I must say. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't trade it, I'll tell you right. And, and this week in Birmingham, the Magic City, there's a big game, uh, classic Alabama State versus Alabama A&M. They'll get a big crowd of Legion Field, and they'll have 20 or 30,000 just outside the stadium, continuing the, the tailgate. Wow, that'll be great, yes. Uh, hey, you know, speaking of Legion Field, uh, I know Alabama used to play games there. A couple games a year, if I'm not mistaken, they no longer do. Is, uh, how, what's behind all that? I was just I saw something this week, an old game from Alabama playing at Legion Field, some highlights or whatever, and how'd that all work out? Because I know that, am I correct? They used to split games between Legion Field and Tuscaloosa. Yeah, the major games, John. Believe it or not, were played at Legion Field, and it's ah. the, uh, the Auburn game. The tickets would be split. 50-50. That's why it was so loud. It's cheering on every play. But slowly, uh, they they weaned themselves of coming to Birmingham and then Bryant Denny Stadium was made into a, a fabulous facility and Legion Field. It kind of was just relegated to the high schools and UAB played there for a while and and you know some of the other state schools like they have the Magic City Classic each year with Alabama State, Alabama A and M. So. It became something that was a, a, glor- a glorious thing from the past. It was the football capital of the South for many years, but Brian Denny Stadium, the, the university felt it was better to play on campus and, and make all, all that money and uh, down in Tuscaloosa. And I, mean, I know all the businesses down there love it when there's a home game because millions of dollars are made. Oh, I'm sure. So. This I didn't know. So you're saying that the Alabama-Auburn game used to be like the Oklahoma-Texas game at the Cotton Bowl or the yeah, Florida-Georgia yeah. game at Jacksonville at the Gator yeah, Bowl? It sure, yes, it sure was, John. You know, it was so loud at that game, you couldn't hear yourself. I mean, it'd be about, let's say, 5,000 plus. Alabama would have tickets. Auburn would have the same amount. And it was fabulous. I mean, I really enjoyed that much more than the home and away because the crowd was so loud. And uh, But in 1989, Auburn hosted Alabama, and then from that point on, uh, Alabama played a few times in Birmingham. But Auburn would always play at their place, and and then eventually Alabama played all the home games in Tuscaloosa. Fascinating. Well, you learn something new every day, and I did not know that. I just certainly knew that Alabama played a lot of games at Legion Field. I never made that split-down-the-middle connection. Uh, But speaking of Alabama, uh, you witnessed quite the route on Saturday, 59 to nothing. Uh, Alabama beat Texas A&M and uh, paid them back uh, (laughs) for... Uh, all the problems they've caused them <laughs> over the last couple of years, shall we say. And, uh, wow, that that was impressive, huh? John, it, I, I believe it was near perfection. I don't know if I've seen Alabama play that well, and there's been 
many good games by Nick Saban and his staff, but that was near perfection. Zero points. Uh, the first time Kevin Sumlin has been shut out as the head coach. You know, he's at Houston for four years. I guess it's his third year at A&M. Of course, he dominated Alabama for two years. He scored 71 points at 42 last year. Now they'll hung on to win by a touchdown. And 29 the year before, they upset Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Uh, you, know, you know, no interceptions by the quarterback, no penalties. So it was a great performance. I don't know if they can play any better. And... So specifically from the defensive side, I think there's a lot of confidence now you're able to stop that no little offense. There was a lot of game tackling. Everyone seems to be growing up on defense as a unit. They're playing much more uh, together. So and it, you know, it tackled well. They put pressure on the quarterback without blitzing it very much. The front four did an outstanding job. I think there was five or six sacks in the game. And with Alabama, they just were balanced on offensive with 304 for the passing, 298 for the rushing, over 600 yards. It was a great day. And, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, I met a, a, a fellow who plays baseball on the sideline. Who would that be? Uh, Alex Rodriguez. Ah, you did? Yeah. Wow. I sure had, yeah, I met up with him. He was there. And, uh, you know, Nick Stephen has been down to Tampa. Uh, to see the New York Yankees, so Alex returned the favor and came to watch Alabama play. Well, he must have had a busy weekend because, if I'm not mistaken, he was at the Cowboys game then the next day. <laughs> he uh, likes football, I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah, well, that's interesting. Uh, and he was on the sidelines, the Alabama sideline? He sure was. He was on the sidelines, shaking hands, and uh, I actually spoke to him for a few moments. I had interviewed him a few times at Yankee Stadium about uh, Andy Schultz, the former uh, player from Alabama, played for the Yankees, and, uh, of course, David Robinson. The neat picture that's there now with the Yankees. Right. Well, speaking of Nick Saban, uh, so did you have, a, uh, before we depart that topic, did you have a conversation with them? you meet them, or it sounds uh, like you met well, him, Alex, right? Alex, so we, we, we just talked a little bit briefly because so many people wanted to shake his hand and take a photograph. I mean, even the president of the university came over and uh, some of the players. So, but he was really very gracious, and I know he enjoyed his time there. Wow, that's great. Well, it's funny because they just showed a highlight of him, and I believe it's from this past Sunday, as in the next day. And it makes sense; it's not that far from uh, Tuscaloosa over to Dallas. But he was at the Cowboys game and kind of got knocked out of the way a little bit when the Cowboys come out of the tunnel. Um, <laughs> It was, you know, I think it was uh, on Sports Center's not top ten, literally within the hour, like as in fifteen minutes ago. So, uh, A Rod, yeah, omnipresent. Well, he's he's emerging again. Uh, we haven't seen the last of A Rod. I think that's for sure on the baseball diamond or off. No, no, he he still wants to get back. I'm sure. Absolutely. Uh, well, you know. You mentioned Nick Saban. I mean, given his comments after the one-point victory over Arkansas, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that they played really a near-perfect game. What, I mean, what what a way what a way to answer the critics who criticized the you know the mere one-point victory over Arkansas. Uh, Nick clearly didn't like that, as his comments showed, and. Uh, 
wow, for them to come out and, you know, <clears throat> number one, take care of the critics, and number two, you know, swat the fly that has sort of bugged them the last couple of years, <laughs> um, <laughs> that being Texas A&M, uh, pretty big day, I would say, yeah, for he, Alabama he football the, and Nick the Saban. There. He was the bug there for a while, but he was the windshield on that day. There you go. One thing he spoke about, John, was the high anxiety his players were were experiencing, and he he referenced the movie Secretariat, and he said how uh, the owners and all the trainers were so nervous before Secretariat was running a race and everything was on the line. They were going to go into debt. The horse didn't win, and finally somebody just said, let the horse run. And so he, he made that statement to his team, I guess, or... He got that advice from the Alabama golf coach because, you know, golf's in a pressurized situation. So he, he told that story to Nick Saban and he applied it to his football team. And, uh, and they sure played without, you know, they played loose and fast and they just looked like they were having fun. I mean, there was an impromptu celebration on the sideline by the defensive linemen. They were dancing. So yeah, it was a different Alabama team for sure. Yes, and they are squarely, squarely back in the hunt for the college football playoff system, to put it mildly. I mean, they're right there. I think they have the prettiest loss, John. Exactly. That's a good way of saying it. That's a very good way of saying it, AP. Well, um, sticking with the SEC, your area of expertise, we've got a big one coming up tomorrow night. Nothing like a Saturday night in Death Valley, Baton Rouge, and... Speaking of the prettiest loss, that prettiest loss by Alabama was to Ole Miss. So Ole Miss goes into, and that was in uh, in Oxford, Mississippi. And uh, tomorrow night, Ole Miss travels to LSU Saturday night in Death Valley, as I just said. Um, should be a fascinating game. I mean, when last seen, LSU was getting absolutely trounced by Mississippi State a few weeks back, which launched the whole Mississippi State and even slash Mississippi football story for the year, it seems. Yeah, I mean, this is a great story. I don't think anybody saw this story coming, John, in the state of Mississippi. I, I mean, there's always talk about them getting better, Mississippi State and Ole Miss, but I don't think anyone, even the, even the writers over Mississippi, they could never have forecast this this high. I mean, this is this is an all-time high for the Magnolia State football programs over there. Oh, absolutely. One and three are the rankings, if I'm not mistaken. Number right. one and number three ranked teams in the country. High-profile games. Ole Miss beats Alabama. Mississippi State beats Trounces. LSU in Baton Rouge. I mean, these are just things we're not used to seeing, right? Yeah, no, I mean... Some kids uh, years from now are going to say, oh, yeah, I remember the times Mississippi State beat up on LSU and Baton Rouge. And, you know, that, you know, grandson might tell them, well, I, you know, I can't believe that really happened, Grandpa. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, I do expect LSU to show up big time tomorrow night. So I think it's going to be a great game. I really do. Um, LSU was embarrassed badly against Mississippi State, and uh, I think they're going to take, a, take it out on their in-state rival tomorrow night. Uh, I think it's going to be a fascinating game. I, I think I read or heard that, that Billy Cannon's going to bring out the game ball, John. Oh, wow. 
he of the famous punt return in, I believe, 1959, if I'm not mistaken, uh, on Halloween night to help uh, help them win the national championship. Am I correct about that? Yeah, I think that's right, John. It was uh, 58 or 59. I can't remember the year exactly, but it's one of those, one of those years. And I mean, they play that thing over and over on the TV all week before the game is played, John. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember the play. I'm not that old, but uh, but I certainly remember hearing about it. It's one of the most famous play. You could put eighty-nine yard puppy turn. Yes, on Halloween night. Was that the same team, the Chinese Bandits team? Yeah, I think that was John. As they were known, I think the defense was known as that. And uh, right. Yeah, I mean, it's in the short list of most famous plays in the history of college football. Right? You know, it's it's in the you know. Doug Flutie, Miracle in Miami, pass, you know, it's one of them. <laughs> it's Johnny Rogers punt return against Nebraska in 1971, or against, excuse me, for Nebraska against Oklahoma. It's in that short list, Billy Cannon's punt. So, interesting <laughs> choice. That, that, that speaks to what I'm saying. This is, I believe, a huge game for LSU. This is a, this is a statement game. Yeah, it sure is. And Ole Miss, I mean, they've got a, I mean, they got an excellent football team down so fast defensively. And Bo Wallace is playing very good football right now. Oh, yeah. So, good while he's on the road, all the national audience will be watching. And, uh, you know, LSU, they can play loose as a goose uh, because they have nothing to lose. Correct, correct. And uh, it's it's been all good bow, not bad bow at all this year, but... If ever there's a, a setting for the bad bow to come out for the first time this year, it would be uh, it would certainly be tomorrow night. Um, well, good stuff as always. Let me. Uh, why don't we take our break here? And on the other side, I want to talk about uh, another game that will be occurring head to head at the exact same time as the LSU Mississippi game, which is of course Penn State Ohio State from Happy Valley. So. Let's take our break, and we'll talk about uh, the other big game tomorrow night on the other side. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Lockdown coverage. Get ready to talk sports with the big guys. Tune in to Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis every Tuesday for the inside and outside of the business of sports. Keith and his guests will provide expert commentary and answer all of your burning questions about your favorite team, the players, and what's next. It's time to have fun with the game. Listen for Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis and his favorite co-hosts every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. On the Voice America Sports Channel, the talk doesn't get any hotter. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to IIR at Comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to segment three of All Around Sports. And I'm your host, John Inglesby. To join the show, the call-in number is one 888 346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And still on the line with us is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. And A.P., we closed the previous segment talking about uh, the LSU Ole Miss game tomorrow night and big game, but another big game is Ohio State at Penn State Feels like it's been a while since there's been a huge whiteout game at Penn State National TV on ABC uh, against obviously a marquee opponent, Ohio State, big big time rival, neighboring states. I'm excited. I th- I think it's going to be uh, going to be a big time game to say the least. Uh, you know, and again, it feels like it's been a while since there's been one of these. Yeah, I think last year, John, wasn't that a big blowout for Ohio State, a 50-point? Yes, I believe it was, yes. Ohio State was in the midst of their whatever 20-24 game winning streak. Um, But, yeah, I mean, got a hand to Ohio State. They're they're coming on after losing their, you know, all-American quarterback in the offseason for the whole year, and... This uh, his replacement is really, really starting to play well. They, of course, lost to Virginia Tech early, and uh, at, at Ohio State, I might add. And uh, but now the Buckeyes are coming on, and uh, I think tomorrow night we're really going to see what they're all about. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, the game. Uh, I'm glad for Penn State that they're playing at home because I don't think they have much of a chance on the road for this game, but. Funny things have happened at Happy Valley, right? So, correct. Oh, yeah. It's all tomorrow night to me is you know all about the fact that the game is at Penn State. That's what I meant when I said you know it's feels like it's been a while you know since there's been a really big prime time Saturday night game in Happy Valley. Uh, and I of course grew up there and uh, near there, so. I can uh, practically feel the excitement 500 miles east in Boston. I know, you know, I can tell when it's big down there, and, and this one's a big one. This is, you know, and clearly for James Franklin, the new coach at Penn State, this is, you know, the biggest game of his young career, which is only half a season old, for sure. Yeah, because, I mean, Ohio State's one of the movers and shakers in that conference, and, and if you're going to stay around for any length of time, you're going to have to beat the Ohio State's of the Big Ten or the Michigan's when they when they come back to the glory years. Those are the two teams that people will question your record to make sure they want you back as the coach. Exactly. You know, and Christian Hackenberg, big night for him, the Penn State quarterback who's done such a wonderful job, to say the least. And uh, 
so yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, going to be a lot of channel surfing tomorrow night. This is going to be, you know, <laughs> a lot of back and forth between Penn State, Ohio State, and LSU, Ole Miss. Uh, but, you know, speaking of college football, another interesting aspect to the week. Uh, well, before we do that, I just want to re- get your thoughts quickly. What would you think of the Notre Dame Florida State game, especially the call at the end. I talked about it in the opening segment, but I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Yeah, John, I mean, that's one of those, it, it's like that charging call in basketball. Sometimes it, it, you look at the play ten times, you might say, I think it's, I'll look at it five times, call it a charge, and the other five times, call it a block. Well and, said. Uh, well said. I mean, that's basically what I said in the I, opening segment, too. Yeah. I just, I just don't know. I mean, if you're going to run that type of controversial play at the, at the goal line, you know that's a possibility. Even if you run it correctly, the official couldn't make the wrong call. So it was too. I was, I was sad that it, the, the game had to hinge on that call at the at the very end. But that's the way it ended up. And if you leave it in, the, in someone else's hands, it, it, and uh, you know you don't get the ball in the end zone. Uh, you have no one else to blame but yourself. That's exactly right. Yeah, it was just disappointing. Nobody likes to see a flag in that situation. Uh, no. You know, and the next worst thing to seeing a flag is, of course, a, a non-call on a blatant penalty. So, again, you said it perfectly. You know, it's it's pretty much 50-50. It's one of those calls, too, that it's in the rule book, but it's it's more often than not, not called which makes it all the more controversial. Yeah, it, it's like all of a sudden you realize, oh, I, we can make this call, so I'm going to be in the limelight and throw the flag. Exactly. Well said. Anyway, to, re- to get back to what I was saying, the College Football Hall of Fame ballot was released this week, and uh, we, you and I have always had fun discussing this in the past. It's another great lineup of names. One thing that's different this year, pretty cool. Just, uh, you know, another indication that, like, wow, there really is a college football playoff coming up. It's real, and it's not too far away all of a sudden. Uh, is that they're going to announce it in Dallas, the site of the national championship game. It's going to be, uh, you know, made on Friday, January 9th, the Friday before the game. It's going to be held in Dallas in conjunction with the college football playoff national championship weekend so it's going to be it's going to have a much higher profile i'm guessing than it's ever had before and uh i think it's great because this is something you and i have always enjoyed discussing you know and i loved looking on all these names for me it's a huge trip down memory lane yeah there's nothing more fun than and remembering some of these players uh, when you're a kid growing up or just through the years and all the magnificent performances and then trying to separate which player you might vote for that means the list is incredible. They're all fabulous talents. It, it becomes very difficult to narrow it down. Uh, when I looked over that list yesterday, I had to take a long time casting my ballot. Yeah, well, there's 75 players nominated from, you know, Division One as we used to call it. 
the name that jumped out of me out of all those 75, and you said it perfectly, the names we remember as kids is, <laughs> interestingly, Tom Gatewood from Notre Dame. The receiver, and it's very simple, one of my fondest memories growing up, I'm sure I have a lot of company, is watching those Notre Dame replays with Lindsey Nelson on (laughs) Sunday mornings, and Tom Gatewood was Joe Theismann's top receiver. I mean, he was a first-team All-American, and, you know, he's always stuck with me. All these years, I haven't thought about him in years until... The other day when I look at this ballot and there's his name and I just loved it. It just brought back Sunday mornings growing up. That was like appointment television. Like it was like the first appointment television of my life was watching those games. It really was, you know. And that's true though. That's true though. I agree wholeheartedly. It sure yeah. was. Every Sunday morning we put that on. We're oh, going to dirt, you know. If we were home that day or something. Yes, uh, I always remember the line. I'll never forget it. You know, and now we moved to further action in the third quarter. <laughs> they would just like <laughs> skip a couple series. You know, they condensed the game down to an hour. <laughs> uh, I, I consider it, you know, one of the great PR tools, for lack of a better way of saying it, in history. I really do. Uh, you know, in the history of sports, because it just you know, was carried nationwide as far as I, I'm guessing. I mean, I used to watch it in yeah. Western Pennsylvania. Nation, nationwide rebroadcast of your game. I mean, guaranteed you will see Notre Dame play. Either was on the TV on that Saturday or definitely the next day. Yes, and I had a vested interest in that team because Joe Theismann, the quarterback, of course, he, uh, who was throwing to Tom Gatewood, uh, he played before, you know, before his freshman year entering Notre Dame. He was a great baseball catcher in, in New Jersey. And my town of Altoona, Pennsylvania, held a huge regional baseball tournament called the Triple ABA, like All-American Athletic Baseball Association or something. And uh, huge tournament, teams from the, all over the East Coast every August. And Joe Theismann came and played for the New Jersey team. And he was, you know, headed to Notre Dame as their new quarterback, which is, again, you know, that's like being the new Yankee shortstop. It's a high-profile position. (laughs) The chatter around him, the buzz, you know, I was whatever, 10, 12 years old, and and he was like just a hero, you you know, for all these little kids watching him play. You know, at a ballpark that I could walk to, you know, from my house. It was just, you know... You talk about appointment television viewing. Well, this was an appointment big event, you know, in our town every year. And uh, so, yeah, yeah. So needless to say, that heightened my interest in Notre Dame. And then, of course, Joe Theismann to Tom Gatewood was uh, right up there with John Ewart to Jim Seymour. Exactly. That was the next (laughs) duo. It sure was. It it seemed like he was forever open. Exactly. He was great. Number, like... See how good my memory is. If I, if I remember correctly, number 44 was Gatewood. That's what I was going to say. That's what I thought. I'm, yeah. I'm quite sure yeah. we're right about that. Yeah, I think that's the right number. He was, he was excellent. Yeah, and, he was uh, terrific. He, he really yeah. was. I mean, the, the, that was, you know, just a, a wonderful Notre Dame team. I, I often look back and 
think that that was, you know, in many ways, that was like the height of Notre Dame football. And that, you know, and that's saying a lot, <laughs> you know, but I thought with that replay and just the time, those were the days when they were playing, you know, Texas in the Cotton Bowl for the national championship. I mean, that era, you know, Daryl Royal, just all of it. I mean, they were the wishbone. There were, there were just, you know, epic games occurring around that time. Yeah, they played the USC team, so those were great games. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anthony Davis, six touchdowns, I think he had, or two two kickoff returns or something. Yeah, they, they, uh, one of those games they tied. I remember that was kind of in the rain. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, one of the games uh, I think was maybe I think they tied O.J. Simpson. Yes, exactly. Yes, that's the era we're talking about. Uh, well, there's a lot of other big names, but why don't we take our break and we'll revisit uh, a little bit more of this ballot on the other side. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to the fourth and final segment of All Around Sports. I am your host, John Inglesby, and back on the line with us is A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. And before A.P. and I talk more College Football Hall of Fame ballot, my pick of the weekend for appointment viewing, which we were discussing earlier, is uh, 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Sunday. Lions at Falcons, uh, although... It's not really about where they're at because the game's in London. And for the first time ever, it's occurring at 1.30 London time, meaning 9.30 our time. 
Uh, as I said in the opening segment, I think it's going to be fabulous. I think it's a new untapped window for the NFL. I got the feeling this is the first of many, many games we're going to be watching from London uh, in upcoming years that will start at uh, 9.30 in the morning Eastern time. I can't wait. It's going to be like watching the Wimbledon or British Open. And AP, what do you think about that? You going to get up Sunday to watch a little NFL football? Yeah, yeah, I, I like to watch that. The Falcons aren't doing very well, but I, I sure like to watch it and, and uh, observe the atmosphere and all the festivities over there in London and see how they receive the American game of football. Yeah, well, uh, I was in London this summer for the first time ever. I managed to jump the tube, i.e. the subway, and made a made, made a trip a tube trip up to Wembley Stadium, walked around for a couple hours just to see where the NFL games are played, and I loved it. And so I'm really going to be tuned in and and appreciating it since I was there literally at Wembley Stadium where the game will be played Sunday uh, in July, so just a couple of months ago. So that's going to be fun. Back to the College Football Hall of Fame ballot. I gave the name that jumped off the pages of me, and it's a uh, it's 75 names uh, from uh, Division One, as I like to call it. Uh, what name jumped out at you, AP? John, there are a ton of guys. That, I mean, every every name it it brings back a memory of you know some of their you know fabulous performances. But an interesting pick for me is a guy by the name of Jackie Walker. Hmm. And he he was a linebacker at Tennessee. Twice he was a first-team All-American. And he set the NCAA record for a career interceptions returned by a linebacker with five. And, wow. one of the, and he played against Alabama uh, in 69 in Legion Field. And they were an integrated team. That they brought, Tennessee brought that integrated team to Birmingham before that famous game of USC in 1970. But Jackie, he intercepted a pitch play or something and ran in for a touchdown. And then I think in 70, he got to score against Alabama again. So he scored against them twice. But he was a unique story because he, he died. He died of AIDS. He was a gay man, played football in the SEC. And, you know, people didn't know about it, of course, way back then. But Alabama, they, they would run special plays just to block him because that's how tenacious he was on defense. And he, he caused so much havoc. You had a game plan uh, for Jackie Walker. Wow. That's saying something. So he, he got Bear Bryant's attention. Yeah, that's right. That's correct. And Not an easy thing to do, uh, to say the least, and uh, something to be proud of. You know, another name that jumped off at me as we're in the middle of the World Series here that I found fascinating, and certainly my and I'm sure millions of other sports fans' first memory was uh, Kirk Gibson. And the first memory is not Kirk Gibson, the football, the baseball player. He was a fabulous wide receiver at Michigan State. I remember when he was there, and let's just say he was good enough to be in the American sporting consciousness at Michigan State. Everybody knew who Kirk Gibson was, and so I, I was thrilled to see his name. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he could have played professional football, no question about it. And, no question. Uh, he None. Fast. Yeah, he, he, he's fast and powerful and tough, and 
he would have been a great NFL player, I'm sure. Oh, no question. Yes. Big, strong, fast. Uh, yeah, he, he was, you know, a household name as a collegiate football player, period. Everybody knew who he was. He was that big, uh, that, that recognized. And, uh, you know, and other names that uh, jumped out at me that we're suddenly seeing a lot of. And, you know, someone who I, you know, who got my attention and got everybody's attention for good or for bad, the Boz, Brian Bosworth. Uh, <laughs> yeah. ESPN's doing a 30 for 30 on him uh, this coming Tuesday. He has been all over yeah, the media lately talking about him. It sounds like, uh, you know, he's found religion in his life. He's talking very fascinating interviews. He's very frank about, you know, his life, good, bad, and everything in between. He's a great interview. Uh, I'll speak for myself. I loved the Boz when he was at Oklahoma. He was one of those players that, you know, demanded your attention. I remember he just burst on the scene, and I think he was, you know, first-team All-American as a sophomore, if I'm not mistaken, and was, like, defensive player of the year, and just, again, he, he was a riveting character, to put it mildly. Yeah, he created a name for himself. You know, it's very difficult from the defensive side. He won the Butkus Award twice, John. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yes, yes. Yeah, I don't. You know, maybe I don't know if anybody's won it twice. Maybe they have, but not many. So he calls people to take notice of the defensive side of the football, which is very rare in those days. I mean, usually looking at the quarterback or the star running back, but everybody knew of the Boz. I mean, he was he had that one, you know, just that name, the Boz. Yes, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, he was number 44 too, like Tom Gatewood, correct? Right, right, sure. Exactly, a famous 44. So, yeah, I mean he he was a uh, high level performer with Oklahoma, and I think they won that one of those. Uh, they won the championship one of those years, '85 or '86. I forgot now. Yeah, well, what was interesting about him too was you know if ever a player was a reflection of his coach, it was. The boss, because Barry Switzer was a swashbuckling guy, <laughs> to say the least. And Boz was his, you know, everybody talks about Boz creating the persona of, you know, the Boz from, you know, from being Brian Bosworth. But in reality, he was also created a persona that reflected Barry Switzer. You know, what's Barry Switzer's book's name? Like Bootlegger Son or something? Right, out of Arkansas? Right, it was. Yes, yeah, he was. So, I mean, he's flamboyant, and Bosworth was, of all the players at Oklahoma, he might have been, he was right up there. One of the most totally. players ever. Right, which is saying something, given yeah, right. the, lineage, the lineage of players from Oklahoma. Uh, but, you know, he, he's clearly the one on the defensive side. They're known more for fabulous offensive players forever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two others that I thought were interesting were, uh, you know, two Heisman Trophy winners. You used to talk about interesting players. <laughs> right up there with the boss for sure, is, of course, Ricky <laughs> Williams. <laughs> and then yeah. another Heisman player winner that, you know, is not as well-known, shall we say, since his college days, Rashawn Salam from that national championship team out of Colorado. But yeah, so two Heisman winners, and uh, you know, again, Ricky Williams, 
really one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. I was uh, covered the NFL Rookie Symposium this past June out in Ohio, and Ricky Williams was one of the speakers who spoke to the 250-plus rookies coming into this year's NFL, and he was just terrific, uh, and everybody, you could have heard a pin drop when Ricky Williams talked. He, he speaks softly, actually, <laughs> and you could have heard a pin drop. Everybody was just fascinated by listening to him talk about his life and his career. A fascinating guy, to put it mildly. Yeah, I mean, he's just a likable character, John. I mean, yeah, he, very likable. You know, I mean, I don't see how you couldn't like him. He's just soft spoken and ran hard and caught the football. And he just, it, it, I mean, he was a blocking fullback when he first got to Texas. And he was a star halfback coming out of San Diego High, you know, high School. I mean, he would block for the other halfbacks, and you couldn't help but like him. He did his own thing, that's for sure. And. What I always remembered about Ricky, and I heard this, Ricky, and I heard this about 10, 10 plus years ago, a friend of mine from ESPN, covering athletes throughout his career, meets a lot of them, of course, at the campus. Uh, he told me something I never forgot, which was that far and away, his favorite athlete that he ever met was Ricky Williams. I never forgot that, and lo and behold... I got to meet him and listen to him, you know, just a couple of months ago for the first time. And, and he was right. Just the nicest, most approachable guy and down to earth that I think you could ever find, really. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that because you just, you don't hear any stories about him ever being out of line with any fan or, or, or different players. And so I, I can believe that story completely. Absolutely, absolutely, and let's never forget that Mike Ditka gave up his entire draft uh, when he was the coach of the New Orleans Saints to get Ricky Williams, so <laughs> we were talking megastar coming out of Austin, to put it mildly. Oh, yeah, and John, here's a guy that the same school as Earl Campbell. He left the school with 46 school records. Bingo. There you go. That says it all, <laughs> and, and just to close, as I've always liked to say, I think we can all agree that Ricky is a unique individual, and uh, I, having visited Austin a couple times and being up on 6th Street, I can see why Ricky turned out to be Ricky. <laughs> it's just that simple. <laughs> but on that, on that note, AP, believe it or not, we're at the end of another show, so we're going to have to close it out. Well, thank you, John. It's always a pleasure. And thank you, as always, for your perspective and uh, appreciate everybody listening to All Around Sports. We look forward to doing it all again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks again for tuning in to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a terrific weekend, and we'll talk sports again next week. 